edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Syracuse actually plays a game this week. Week. Yes, we're back. Basketball season it has returned. Somehow, I don't. I don't really understand how this happened. I know that everyone's complained about the uh, ACC schedule and all that, but. Uh, Really, really weird to have a nine-game break in the middle of the season, especially when we did not have uh, much of a break between games at all um, in the ACC contest before this one. Surrounded by, like, two pairs of, like, four games and ten days and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it was something, what, do we average a game, like, every three days leading up? Yeah, we had, like, the Thursday, Saturday, Monday thing, and then we I think we have, like, four in, in ten or eleven coming up soon again, so... Doesn't make a lot of sense, ACC. Um, you know, sometimes Jim Beheim can be a little bit much with complaining about stuff, but I think he was absolutely right about this. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the schedule now. Um, after this game, we got three days in BC, three days in uh, Louisville, three days in Pitt, and then we get another week off <laughs> before NC State. Fun. Dumb. <laughs> Very dumb. Quite dumb. All right, uh, I guess talk about basketball uh, to start us. Um, Dan, nothing has changed since the last time we spoke in terms of the basketball team, but um, do you think that uh, this is going to be a team that's well-rested now um, after a difficult start to the season, or do you think this is going to be a team that uh, has a little rust to shake off because they haven't played in the game situation in nine days? Um, it's hard to know what to expect. Uh, I, I am happy with the team getting rest just because of how this team plays. Obviously, we have very little depth, um, and you can kind of see at the end of some games uh, – it seems to, you know, some of the players seem to give away a little bit. Um, so I'm happy they got some rest, but it was like I would have taken maybe four or five days and not nine. Uh, so hopefully there isn't too much of a drop off. Um, but we'll find out. Uh, I think Florida State's a nice opponent to do against. It's one that Syracuse should win, but is still a pretty quality team. Um, so I think we'll find out a lot about what this team uh, has going down the stretch tonight. Yeah, or uh, last night we'll we will have found out. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> for those who, for some reason, didn't know to this point, uh, Dan and I usually uh, do the podcast the night before it's posted on the site. Uh, for those who follow on iTunes and Blog Talk, you can usually get it um, shortly after it posts. But for a lot of people, I'm sure they just kind of wait for it to come out um, over on noons. And so that's why we don't always know what's going to go on in the basketball game that we're talking about for just a couple hours from now. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I think that this team needed the rest. Like you said, I think four or five days would have been perfect. Um, but we'll, we'll deal with what, what we have, the nine-day rest. I, I think, um, you know, this is going to be an interesting case. It's not that we have, you know, an overtired, overworked, um, suffering team coming at us either. I mean, Florida State's played well of late, won four straight. Um, they are a high-energy team. Um, and they do have, a, you know, have had a couple of days off leading into this, so it's not like they're going to be exhausted. Um, the one place that I think um, this was something that uh, somebody from the Florida State blog um, showed up in the comments and was just talking about pace. Um, and, and this actually brings up a good point: is that you know, like if we had faced Florida State on the short rest that we were facing, you know, the Georgia Techs, the Virginia Techs of the world, um, I think we we almost definitely lose no matter where the game was played. Um, but but here, I think uh, having this break. Um, and maybe, maybe being able to dictate the style of play a little bit more and potentially being able to keep up with Florida State pressing. Um, you know, th- this is where, where this, this lengthy break 
I think, you know, really, really helps Syracuse. And you know how it works in college basketball, too. I mean, there's the injuries that are reported. There are the ones that aren't. Um, I haven't seen anyone really favoring anything, but at the same time, like, you've definitely seen um, the wheels come off of the team at certain times. You've seen them really, really, really kind of, you know, fail to be able to step on the gas. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that no matter what ailed them, serious or not serious, um, I, I think we should be, you know, at full strength and full health, um, today and I'm very curious to see um, you know kind of what this team can do um, especially against the team because I feel like and Dan correct me if I'm wrong I just don't see a lot of teams playing with pace this year um, in the ACC and I feel like Florida State's kind of a, a big test of of that for Syracuse but whether or not they can keep up um, you know especially if the shots aren't falling the way that they they have in wins and, and haven't um, in losses yeah it's it's interesting um, Louisville obviously plays the way they play um, pretty consistently. So they, you know, you know what you're doing with them. They're in a press. They play fast. But teams like even, you know, Syracuse plays faster than it has the last couple of years. But um, they we have a short bench. Duke uh, is a very short bench, especially without Emile Jefferson. And they normally play faster. Uh, even North Carolina, which plays fast fairly often. Um, they have more depth, but their depth is very... Uh, Bid man oriented, um, so it, it definitely isn't. Uh, it doesn't seem to be at, at least the uh, the same speed uh, that we normally see from the league. But Florida State definitely does buck that, even though they have a lot of uh, big guys inside too. Although I think they they generally only play like one at a time. Yeah, that's what I was noticing, kind of looking at the minutes distribution, everything. Uh, what I said in the article the other day was that you know they they play with an incredible amount of balance um, across the board, even though they have you know Beasley and Bacon are kind of the big scorers, but at the same time, like they have four guys that score nine points or more a game. Um, rebounds are pretty evenly distri- distributed, and they're distributed uh, evenly between the guards, um, it seems, more than, than, the, than the bigs that they have. Uh, and that's what's been surprising is that for a team that, you know, I, I feel like the strength was kind of predicated on, you know, you know oh, they got three seven-footers, oh, like they have all these guys that are like going to be able to clog the paint and all that. And, and what you're seeing instead is a pretty guard-heavy team, um, again, with, with the aforementioned Bacon and Beasley um, you know, accounting for over 30 points a game combined. Yeah, they're, they're very balanced. Um, they have some really quality stores. Uh, I'm actually, I thought, I thought we were going to do a lot more out of, uh, Florida state this year, but, uh, than we actually have, but, uh, I do think this is a pretty dangerous team. Um, and I don't imagine the, t- uh, SU's taking them lightly at all. Um, so it's actually not a bad time to have all this rest. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it shows tonight, although with with Syracuse, you never really know what you're going to get on a, a day-to-day basis. Yeah, especially this team. I mean, Dan, do you think that this could be – I mean, obviously the season isn't over if we lose, and Florida State isn't over if they lose. Um, do you think this is a little bit of a bubble play-in game, like something that um, the committee looks back on? Um, I mean, obviously there's two of these anyway um, against FSU, but do, do, do you think that, that this is something the committee is, is going to be like – you know, hyper focused in on um, this game and and the and the March fifth game uh, when they look at the ACC um, by itself and, and just look at the bubble in general, um, which Syracuse is probably going to be hanging around on unless it you know wins six of the final eight games. Yeah, it did wind up being pretty important. Um, the, it's tough. I was talking with people today about you know the whole issue with Syracuse getting favorable treatment um, or at least. Uh, having the explain away, you know, Hopkins games versus, you know, Bayheim games and whatnot. And uh, it just comes down to, it's really hard to know what the 
committee looks for on a year-to-year basis. Uh, they, you know, say that they value something some years, but then they actually release the field, and you kind of wonder uh, what, you know, they these specific groups actually find more important. Um, so head-to-head just seems like a natural thing that should be um, something that they focus in on a lot. But uh, it's really, it's hard to know uh, whether there are just going to be too many bubble teams for that to be a deciding factor and whether uh, the fact that a lot of these teams will have games against each other will just make it too muddled so they'll just focus more on resume. Um, but overall, I think you always want to beat teams that you're going to be competing uh, for bids with. Um, it can't hurt to beat Florida State, obviously. So uh, I would lean towards, uh, yeah, this is probably a pretty important game, um, or it should at least be treated as such and not put it into the hands of the committee because uh, the winner of this game or the winner of the, the two Florida State Syracuse games will have uh, a real edge in getting off that bubble. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if, if one team sweeps, and hopefully it's Syracuse, uh, I think that should that should put the argument to rest, at least when you're comparing those two teams. But, you know, Dan, uh, you, you alluded to, you know, kind of what the committee's repeatedly said in various ways, which I don't understand why, um, about about Syracuse and its case. Um, do, do you buy it? Do you think that the more this team wins under Bayheim, the stronger that case becomes and the stronger the factor is? If, let's say, if Syracuse ends up losing, you know, five games under Bayheim all regular season, let's, let's just hypothetically, um, and, and they lost five out of nine with Hopkins, I mean, do you think that that makes a stronger, more compelling case than, let's say, if, if they end up losing, you know, seven or eight under Bayheim? I'm really of a split mind with this whole issue. Um, on one hand, I'm a Syracuse fan, so I accept the, I, I happily accept any benefits that we get. Um, and I don't think the NCAA tournament committee should be like an enforcement arm of the NCAA. Like people are going to argue, you know, why should Syracuse get? Uh, they're basically benefiting from the situation, and they kind of are. Um, but on the other hand, I, I don't know that this is much different than a player being hurt. Um, I think with Michigan State, they're going to grade the Denzel Valentine games a lot more significantly than the, the games where he was hurt and they struggled, um, assuming they kind of regain their form by season's end. And Syracuse, and, and it's it also kind of plays into the whole um, like final 10 games thing, which I, I know I don't think they officially say they look at anymore, but it, it does make some sense to try to find the teams that are playing the best now versus you know someone who started really hot in November and then didn't win a game in March. Um but so it's it's interesting. I, I just I find it weird that they keep on saying this when they could easily just say we'll you know weigh the things we weigh. And Syracuse was playing really good basketball in February and March, so that's why they got in. Rather than explicitly saying the Bayheim thing's a factor because they're just inviting criticism, they really don't need to. Yeah, I think the first time it was weird. The second time it was okay. Got it. The third time it's like oh great. Like I, like what point are you trying to make here? Like, are you trying to, are you trying to preface for the fall that like, that like no matter what, like, I, I just, I just don't understand what's to be gained by continually telling, um, local media, national media, whomever, um, you know, today or last night's news was the Daily Orange and they told, um, ESPN and Syracuse.com before that, like, I, I just, I'm, I'm getting worried about the constant repetition of information. I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm reading some sort of, you know, uh, convoluted thriller or maybe a Harry Potter book where, where pieces of information just are continually mentioned because they're important. And, and I feel like now it's getting to the foreboding end of that, of this is being mentioned over and over again because it's going to come back to bite us. 
Yeah, it's just, I'm just waiting for this to become a big thing that people get mad about for no reason. And it just seems like the NCAA should be in the business of not inviting criticism when possible. And even if they're right here or the logic is sound, it just doesn't seem like something they need to be venturing into because there's no way that some people aren't going to get up in arms about this. That's college sports, though, Dan. That's how it works. When when you when you have too many teams and everyone can't play everyone, there's there's literally no comparison that you can make between teams anymore, and, and that's why people like to argue about it, and that's why we have polls. Polls, they solve everything. No one's ever disagreed with the poll. Never, ever. They're inherently unbiased. Even in the preseason. Preseason polls are the best <laughs> polls. Because the then only you polls have, that matter. You don't have that if that, you know... Icky, uh... If X, then Y. I mean, you can't be biased if there were no games. <laughs> <laughs> Evidence only makes things ugly. Like you can't, can't deal with that. Yeah. Talking more about basketball, I guess. Um, Dan, kind of, what are you seeing in terms of you know SU's chances to get a to get a buy here? Um, obviously, the Louisville. Um, you know, not participating thing helps, and we'll get to that because uh, I think there's more to be said there. Um, but you know, w- I guess I guess we were all pretty, we all pretty much thought that SU was a middle of the pack team. But do you think that just the the parity in the league and, and just kind of how the schedules played out and Bayheim's return and all that, um, do, do you think that that SU could play itself as high as fourth potentially, or, or do you think that we're much more likely to, to hang around that that fifth to eighth like we should have to begin with? Um, it does seem like fourth is maybe a bit high. I'd probably venture to guess that Syracuse winds up somewhat, like you said, in fifth to eighth, um, just because I, I don't think UNC is going away. I think Louisville, there's a good chance that they just play really incredibly hard because of the situation they were just put in, although they could go the other way as well. Um, Miami seems to just be a really nice, consistent team. So it's going to be tough to break into that top four, um, unless Syracuse just goes on a, you know, absolute, uh, barnstorming tour down the stretch here but i think if, if su is in the like five to eight range they should be in pretty good shape uh for the tournament as long as there aren't any like really bad losses down the stretch yeah i, I think that's fair and you know i think the, the the five to eight range i barring something unforeseen i think that pretty much locks us in uh to a tournament bid whether the committee decides to look at Bayheim or not uh, i think the only thing that well, there's only there's two things that, that could hurt our case there, and that is if A and M's looked a little bit shaky of late, and that's obviously our marquee win on the resume. Um, and then you know if Duke can't get itself right, I know it seems like I'm not going to say crisis averted yet, but it looks like they figured out pieces of things since you and I were kind of getting worried about whether Duke would even make the tournament. Um, obviously, Jefferson's return is, is is you know what's going to kind of make or break this whole thing, but. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think there's enough there that, you know, like you and me have both said, if, if Syracuse wins 20 games in a 68-18 tournament, um, and, and those include a couple marquee wins, it, it is going to be very, very difficult to, you know, tell them no. And, you know, I again, Syracuse controls their fate there. Syracuse controls their ability to whether or not the NCAA says no. Um, but, you know, I, I, just, I just hope that, I hope that we're not, you know, sweating it out on on Selection Sunday. As, as you've noted, you haven't really had the the, the pleasure and stress of, of doing so, and, and I will I will forewarn you, it is not fun. 
No, last year was uh, was as unstressful as uh, any of the other years, just for different <laughs> Um But yeah, I mean, my we haven't been lower than a four seed in, in my Syracuse uh, supporting career, I guess. So um, yeah, it'll will be a new thing. Hopefully, I don't really. I'm not looking forward to it. I hope we find our way as like a safe seven seed and don't really have to worry about it. That would be nice because the last time that I was sitting in a situation like this. Uh, everyone, including Joe Lenardi, told me that we were a 10 seed and that we didn't make it. Yeah, no thanks. I'll pass on that. Um, I guess the other big basketball topic, and maybe this gets it to halftime, maybe it doesn't, um, Louisville. Uh, Dan, since you uh, you know cover college sports outside of Syracuse, um, what's your kind of... I guess first let's talk about outside of the Syracuse lens... How do you see? How do you? How are you looking at the, the self-imposed ban for for Louisville? And you can take that as at as many angles as you want. Um, I don't know. Look, I remember when this happened last year with Syracuse, and I think it was a little different because it became very apparent by the time that Syracuse self-imposed that they weren't going to make the tournament. And obviously, there were no guys who had just transferred in for one year. Um, I think last year I was very defensive of the move, um, and I do think it was probably a little less bad than what Louisville is, But uh, and this is totally probably unfair of me. Um, it definitely brought a nerve with me more this year uh, with Louisville, and it kind of made me feel worse about what Syracuse did last year. Um, and I think a lot of it's because of the Lee and Lewis situation. Um, they obviously came for one year. They hadn't made the tournament in either of their careers because they were playing at Cleveland State and uh, where was Lewis? Uh Manhattan? I'm trying to remember. I think it's Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, I'll look that up while I'm speaking here. Um, but yeah, so like they came in with the implicit goal of making the tournament. Lewis was at Cleveland State. Uh, Damian Lee was uh, Drexel. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think those two really got railroaded by this whole thing um, where like Christmas obviously was already at SU and I highly doubt, like, knowing the things we know about Rap that he would have transferred. Um, but I, I do think overall it, it's it's unfortunate where stools are put in the position of having to kind of save themselves uh, over their actual players. So I, I think just with two years in a row, they just need to find some kind of solution. And I think kind of instituting some rule where neither the NCAA nor the team can uh, ban a team for the upcoming year uh, past the date where it's a player can transfer or weigh his options might be a, a good way to go about this. Um, you need to have some kind of of you know check on teams cheating. Um, you need to kind of have some system in place. But right now, like the obvious thing for Syracuse was definitely to do the self uh, imposed ban. Louisville seems less obvious as they would be a tournament team. Uh, pretty clearly so i'm not quite sure why they were so quick to do it unless they know something uh, that we don't and they're really going to get hit hard um but overall it's a really awful situation and i feel terrible for the louisville players um so hopefully the NCAA figures something out i have very little faith that they actually will but um it is something that needs to be addressed so and it did it did make me feel worse about the syracuse situation looking back on it with how louisville played out yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's a that's a good call, and and you know, I at first I know I wrote an article on on the site about um, 
about the situation and about how, how, it, how it eerily followed what Syracuse did and how it could be, you know, kind of a recipe for disaster going forward as more teams see this as an out for, for wrongdoing. Um, you know, I think what I pointed out right away was that um, it, was, it was one year and, and a day um, after Syracuse announced its own self-imposed ban. And like you said, there's definitely some differences in terms of, you know, which team is going to make this tournament or not. And, you know, kind of the, the length of investigation. Um, obviously, you have the transfer players is another factor. I mean, Rocky and Christmas had made a Final Four in his tenure already. So that was kind of thrown out the window. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that SU set a dangerous precedent, uh, whether we like it or not. Louisville seemed to be uh, fully on board with embracing that precedent. Um, and, and yeah, I, I do worry that we're just going to see more and more of this. I mean, like you said, an easy solution is, you know, the NCAA and, and the institutions. If you really care about these student athletes, then, then yeah, maybe you should actually give them a chance to f- better their own situation. Um, you know, if if you're choosing to, to bar them from the postseason that year. Um, I think the, the the big factor here is that I'm pretty sure that North, that uh, Louisville, almost said North Carolina, who is not going to get punished for anything they did. Um, I think Louisville is, has a lot more things to talk about. I'm not sure how this all shakes out for them, but I, yeah, I, I think there's a lot more to talk about. Um, and I think a lot of it hinges, and I said this in the comments of the, of the post, I think a lot of this hinges on uh, who the recruits that they who are the recruits they use prostitutes to lure to Louisville um, and then how old are these recruits um, because I think that's that's the the key factor here is that um, you know whether or not things go from NCAA improprieties and and some moral gray area to actual you know legally wrong actions Yeah, that's a good point. I think one of them, if my memory serves, is uh, Ohio State freshman guard Jaquan Lyle, who I think confirmed the allegations. So it doesn't look good for Louisville. Um, I'm not going to pass too much judgment. Not that the Syracuse and Louisville situations are all that similar, but we have just been through our own NCAA stuff. So, and and you know, none of this is on. I don't even think the players that um, have been connected directly or even went to Louisville. So it's really. Um, a pretty terrible situation if you care about college sports at all. Uh, and if I'm a Louisville fan, I'm very worried um, because the fact that they self-imposed despite being probably a top four, top five seed is very foreboding, I think. Um, so I wish no ill will on the Louisville program, but uh, I would say, uh, you know, brace yourselves if you're Cardinals fans that are listening for some reason. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, and Syracuse fans wouldn't blame you for uh, for wishing ill upon the Louisville program given uh, the way they've played us in the past decade. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a stretch in there where Syracuse is actually kind of right at the ship. But nonetheless, I mean, we've, we've been at odds with, the, with Louisville Athletics um, for, for much of the last 10 years um, and, and actually you know, run kind of neck and neck. I feel like, um, you know, our, I'd say our you know, successful periods have kind of coincided with theirs and, and, and their, their lower moments have kind of coincided with ours. Um, so yeah, they're definitely kind of like this this pseudo rival, um, you know, in both the Big East and the ACC now. But yeah, I uh, I think it's incredibly foreboding that that a team with with something to play for and something on the line was willing to do it this late. Uh, I mean, 
I'm not seeing the coward talk from from folks the same way that there was with Syracuse. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's because of the stakes at play. I mean, Syracuse could have conceivably made the tournament, but it was definitely not looking great uh, last season. I think Louisville, I mean, barring its total collapse, was going to make the tournament. And yeah, like I, I, I said in my post, others have said, like, you can't do this to kids. You can't do this to... I mean, and it's... Whether Lee and Lewis were, were grad students or or whether they were just seniors, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I, I think that it's wrong regardless. Um, even if you have another shot at it, it's wrong. Um, and, and like you said, too, it it put a different light for me and for you and for a lot of others on what Syracuse did last year. Um, and it certainly makes it feel a whole lot dirtier and a whole lot less uh, palatable um, you know, now that we've we've seen two teams in this conference do it. And, and then for all we know, North Carolina is going to make it three next year. Oh, you have way too much faith in the NCAA. <laughs> oh, I have no that faith North in Carolina is getting hit next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm doing the math. <laughs> what do you have? Like a like a 10 to 12 year investigation minimum, maybe 20. Um, so yeah, I, I guess you're probably looking at a 2025 punishment at earliest uh, for the Tar Heels. Uh, there will be no title stripped, um, and they will be punished minimally because they will see a three year down period from 2019 to 2020 one as enough of a punishment um, and they don't want their you know hashtag brand to suffer sounds about right <laughs> and I guess that's, oh, that's, a, that's a terrifying part for the NCAA I guess is that and the, the terrifying part for, for any committee any organization is that at the end of the day um, you know you're, you're, a, you're an organization full of men and women um, who are human beings they have biases they make their decisions based on those biases whether they or we like it or not um, and and I, I do feel I mean th- there's obviously no perfect solution here because you can't have <laughs> can't have machines make these decisions and, and, and if we do we've already gone too far um, but yeah we're we're beholden to, to, to people uh, at the end of the day and I think that um, it's, it's becoming increasingly clear that maybe the people at least that, that we have in charge aren't making the right decisions. I'm not implying that anyone's perfect, but um, perhaps these situations and whatever happens in North Carolina, um, for better or for worse, um, at least start to to really, really, really put the microscope on everyone involved with college athletics um, and, 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 and shout home the point that, that something needs to be done, you know, one way or the other. Yeah. I think my biggest, and I know a lot of the other people at the site are this kind of the same way. Like my biggest issue with college sports is the utter lack of like thought for college, the actual athletes and their rights. Um, and if anything happens, if it takes like some just awful stuff like this, not not that I'm, you know, happy that there was like a prostitution scandal or anything, but if it takes like just a huge scandal uh, to kind of shake up the entire thing, uh, the entire landscape to make it more. Uh, fair and uh, really protect the rights of athletes and give them kind of agency in their own careers, uh, I think that's good. So hopefully that's, that's what this all leads to. But uh, again, also not very uh, confident of that. So good times. Good times. Uh, I guess it's a good place to get to halftime. Um, so Dan, what have you been drinking uh, for the last week or so? Um, I'm looking up on tap now. It wasn't the most exciting week. Uh, lots of like normal kind of blah stuff for the Super Bowl. Um, some Sam Adams cold snap, which I actually liked a lot more this week than 
uh, I remember liking in years past. Um, uh, I had a bunch of that. Like the day after the Super Bowl, we had some at our apartment. Um, the one new thing I did try, which I liked a lot, was um, Carton Brewing from New Jersey. Uh, Love those I had heard guys. about them. What? Love those guys. Yeah, I had never I had heard about them a decent amount, but I hadn't had any of their stuff. But um, I tried the Boat Beer, which is their Session IPA. Um, I actually think it fa- it compares pretty favorably to like All Day from Founders. It's it's really good. Uh, you know, it sits at like four four point two percent, so it's very much a session. But um, I thought it was really, really good, really delicious. So um, if you see that anywhere and you're looking for a nice thing that you can pound away all day, um, the boat beer from, from uh, oh, man, Carton um, definitely works in that level as well. And all day IP is obviously always great. Good deal. Yeah, I mean, I like Carton's offerings in general. Um, one of New Jersey's finest. Uh, Aaron Goldfarb is a large proponent of them, and he's friends with the breweries over there. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot to like out of them, and I do like uh, do like boat beer. Definitely compares favorably to all day. Uh, those would be those two and uh, and Ponto uh, Pizza Ports uh, Session IPA would probably be my top three um, in some order. So yeah, get on it, especially if you're you're dealing with once you're dealing with the weather. I guess that we're dealing with out here. Um, which is 85 to 88 degrees. It's kind of brutal. I'm not going to complain about it because I know that most of our listeners um, are sitting somewhere in the cold either of New York City or worse, uh, the cold of Syracuse that is hanging around 10 degrees right now. Don't want to hear it, John. That's fine. I'll uh, I'll, I'll take my punishment. <laughs> um, uh, I drank a bunch in the last week, uh, as per usual. Um, swung over to one of my favorite spots, um, Monkish Brewing down in Torrance. Had um, Olivia. It's a saison of theirs that was absolutely delicious. Um, well, kind of a saison. I guess it was more of a wild ale. I don't have the exact styles in front of me. It's just more of the, the untapped list, just like you. Um, also had a pale ale from theirs, the Split Infinitive. Uh, they've been making a really nice run of, uh, of Belgian pale ales of late, and Split Infinitive is another really good effort. Uh, from them, drove right over, well, the, what is it, block pretty much to Smog City. Got a nice little loop over there. Anytime I go to one, I try to go to the other. Uh, they had Tiramisu, Bloody Knuckle, um, reporter of theirs. Uh, they had something from Nothing. Uh, the Nothing was kind of a, a milk stout, and they had a subdued version of that um, called Something from Nothing. Kind of a, kind of halved the uh, the recipe as it was. Um, over there, really enjoyed that as well. Um, some other things I had. Oh, I had. Uh, everyone should be getting this, I think. The uh, Patascala uh, Red X IPA um, from Stone. Uh, that was a good one. I had Broad Acres. It was a uh, kind of strawberry Berliner Weiss. That uh, was really really good from Phantom Carriage. Other than that, that was really it. Uh, had a couple of Sierra Nevadas um, during Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, thought I had to work during Super Bowl. It ends up I did not, but I didn't find that out soon enough that um, it, it you know could could be rectified in my drinking. So yeah, good uh, good week's worth of drinking. I got more coming up um, come Saturday uh, since I will be headed down to Orange County to, uh, to head to the brewery. Uh, which uh, which has a lot of great stuff going on right now. 
Um, I always talk about them. Dan always enjoys whatever he gets from them. And yeah, I should have plenty more to report next week um, after I I go through a uh, whirlwind tour of of, uh, their best offerings of the year so far. Yeah, the few times I've had them, like, they've always delivered pretty well. So look forward to hearing the report. Indeed. Yeah, you can uh, you can definitely see even on their, uh, their tap room list kind of kind of what I have in store for me. There's a, it's a pretty good offering. Everyone's pretty familiar with them or should be. And, uh, yeah, again, looking forward to uh, drinking as much as possible uh, within reason, obviously. I'm not driving, so that's the one plus. But, yeah, definitely a lot. Um, moving on down the road, um, before we get into some more Syracuse stuff, I think we take a little bit of a break and, uh, do our little bracketology thing that we normally do. Um, if that works for you, Dan. Yeah, let me just did, uh, Lenardi's latest stuff here. I'm doing the same. Oh, no. Did they change the format of this? <laughs> Please don't say that. What is the? Oh, did it just go right to mobile for you? Yes. What is that? Come on. I, oh, I think that was just the first link on ESPN or on Google for some reason with mobile by default. Which which is now a commentary on how we consume news. No. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's that's very true. Yes. The fact that mobile is coming up on desktop is a uh, is an earlier result. I think is all you need to know. Um, so yeah, found it. It's February 11th. I got it too. This is actually today's. All right, um, Dan. I guess we'll just go. Let's go side by side. Uh, going south first, and then I'll go the south, and then we'll just kind of work our way around. Um, I guess in the south, who do you see coming out of this, um, and who do you see as a dark horse? Uh, maybe give me a, a preview, elite eight. Uh, the South, it actually looks pretty tough because I like a lot of these teams. Um, Oklahoma, I'm very bullish on. Uh, they, you know, had some iffy losses, but like losing out the Octodown of Doom is not the end of the world. I know Kansas State isn't great, but they're not like awful. Um, and the Big 12 has just been brutal for teams this year. Um, so that's what happened. Like, that's where you see Oklahoma sticking out of one seat, even though they lost. Um, I think Purdue's very good. I think Kentucky is going to be very scary by year's end. Uh, I don't know that they're a tournament, uh, a Final Four team, but they've made the Final Four two or three times when I didn't think they were. So shows, you know, what we all know. Um, and then Maryland is sitting down there at the two, which, like, Maryland, just Mellow Trimble's so good. Um, he can beat teams by himself. Uh, and Miami at the three, also, like, just kind of flo- floating under the radar. They've been very consistent. Um, I've liked what they've done. So... I'm going to take Oklahoma. Um, I'll probably ride with Oklahoma and Maryland, although I could see uh, a lot of different things happening here. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Miami made a nice run. I wouldn't be shocked if Purdue ended up you know, winning this whole thing. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll ride with the Sooners to make the Final Four, just because I, I feel most comfortable with them. And they'll be playing in Oklahoma City the first two uh, rounds according to this, so that would be a, a nice boon for them. Yeah, you know, I think Oklahoma is a very good choice there. Uh, Maryland, it's unfortunate for Maryland because I feel like, well, I'm not like a Terps sympathizer um, at all. I I do think they'd be better served in a different bracket where they could definitely upset some folks. I mean, if you put Maryland over in the East with Villanova, um, I think you're definitely hard-pressed, you know, to, to avoid taking uh, Maryland. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I think Oklahoma's the pick. 
Um, in this bracket, I think Kentucky's a team that could definitely make some noise in another bracket, um, but they're not one that, that I'm going to buy into here. Miami's another. Um, I think you get a pretty easy, um, you know, chalk Sweet 16 in this one um, with OU, Maryland, uh, Miami, and Kentucky, respectively. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll move us over to the East, and then I'll toss it back over to you, Dan. Um, if we're believing Lenardi, um, the East has an interesting um, group of teams. I think that, that you know, one including Syracuse, um, down at 11 against Providence, which is only fitting. Um, I don't believe in Villanova. You shouldn't either. I know you don't, Dan. Um, so I guess at the top half of this bracket... Um, you're gonna see some upsets. I'm probably gonna hand us something involving Iowa State um, getting to the Elite Eight. Um, then on the other end, you're probably looking at something like, you know, I I don't want to do this, but I I, I unfortunately, maybe fortunately. See, um, see something resembling Syracuse and North Carolina getting to the other sweet. I mean, I, you know, I, I see North Carolina getting out of this uh, this bracket. But if you wanted to, if you wanted to to talk me into some wild, stupid, um, you know, Syracuse thrills us all and runs through the tournament scenario, this, this really isn't the worst one to put us in. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go North Carolina at a, into the Final Four if, uh, if this bracket comes to be. But, but if, there's, there's, if there's one bracket that could potentially talk me into something stupid for Syracuse, it's this one. Um, yeah, I don't totally disagree. I think Providence... They seem to be kind of free-falling as much as good as Chris Dunn is. I, I'm not a huge believer in the rest of their team. Uh, I'm not a believer in Villanova. Um, I'm you know, not cool for them to be number one for the first time in the polls, which is crazy. They haven't been number one before, by the way. But um, I just don't see them being as good as some of the other teams in this bracket. Uh, coming from the top, I, Iowa State I th- is probably the team. I just, I, I'm done with Iowa State. I've been burned too many times. Um, I'm going to go with Arizona. I just think that they've been flying way under the radar. Um, they're not great, but I think they're talented enough to make a run. And, you know, UConn and Pitt don't impress me. Iowa State just implodes all the time. Uh, Villanova, again, I think they're, you know, not as – I think they were better last year, honestly. Uh, and then the bottom, um, I'm going to ride with Michigan State just because Tom Izzo is Tom Izzo, and they're a pretty good team when they're healthy. And it seems like they're starting to get their groove back a little bit. Um so I'm going to go with them. Um, North Carolina is probably the most talented team overall. But uh, I don't know. I, I trust Izzo, and I trust Denzel Valentine. So I'll take them going out of the, uh, coming out of the East. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, a, it would be stupid of me to pick against Michigan State here because we've, we've been proven over and over and again. Again, you and I talked about it last year, this year, probably at this point, three or four years, however long the podcast has been going on. Michigan State just seems to to find a way in the tournament. Stupid to tick against them. Um, but you know what? Uh, Belmont's actually a pretty good team. And, you know, I, I don't want to jinx Syracuse. I also want to sound stupid talking about Syracuse. But if I guess my thing is, you know, why not us? Why are, why are other teams always able to 
to do these these idiotic things like you know make runs as uh as lesser seeds and and uh and and do it when no one can and you know Syracuse is or Syracuse, no no one says they can excuse me you know, Syracuse is uh has never really done that um so I guess yeah you know why not us um I I think that that if Syracuse is put in a situation like this, they have ample opportunities to to advance a couple of rounds. Um, yeah, I uh, I wish you hadn't brought up the uh, the way Iowa State has burned you and me and and so many others, but but that does bring a good point. I mean, maybe uh, maybe that entire uh, top half of that bracket does turn into uh, a complete and utter shit show, and we're looking at something stupid like Stony Brook in a in a Sweet Sixteen. Or, or Butler getting itself back to a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight. Or, or, or maybe we end up with chalk. I mean, this has happened before where someone said, oh, this is the bracket, this is the one that, that all goes to hell, and it's chalk the whole way, and, and one seed that people didn't necessarily believe in, you know, advances a couple rounds. But I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll reserve full judgment uh, for a little, for, well, I guess until we really actually get there. But... Um, I could see a bracket shaking out like this being a complete and utter zoo, or yeah, I, I could see something, something exasperating like Michigan State getting through, um, if, if that is a true East bracket. Yeah, I don't know why anyone would be surprised by Michigan State doing anything. I mean, last year they were legitimately just not a factor heading into the tournament and made a run to the Final Four. So I, if you if you're doubting Izzo, obviously they might they might lose to North Carolina, they might lose to Syracuse. Whatever, but if you're gonna doubt Izzo in March, like you're not setting yourself up for a uh, for good success in in any bracket uh, bracket making or bracket pools. So I'll, I will choose to you know go with what works, and that is not picking Iowa State and picking Michigan State. <laughs> good, good call. I think um, Dan, why don't you why don't you kick us off over at the Midwest where things might get more interesting or maybe less depending on your uh, your point of view. Um, how about Texas at the five seed there? Texas looked really bad to start the year, and it turns out that Shaka Smart is a pretty good coach, and it took him all of, like, four months to get his team into a five seed in the NCAA tournament, at least according to this bracketology, and he's back in the top 25. Um, I like Iowa. I just don't see them being, like, supremely talented, and that often wins out. Uh, Gonzaga, you know, they sneaky lose all the time early. Um, wouldn't surprise me if they lost to Colorado. Uh, and then Dayton sitting there. We all know about Dayton in the tournament. Uh, kind of a weak uh, set of set of seeds here. Um, and then you have Duke, West Virginia, Virginia down in the bottom. Um, out of that whole grouping, I think I'm going to go with Virginia. And I know that they've been kind of a big um, Final Four team, like, picked the last couple of years um, and have fallen a little bit short, but they still, you know, they've, they've gone to the sweet 16. They've, they've played, they've lost, you know, tight games. It's not like they're uh, Iowa state losing kind of embarrassingly. So um, I, I'm going to take the, the who's uh, over. I'll go with Texas. I think Shaka smart coaches really well in March. I think he's pe- their team seems to be peaking uh, down the stretch here, which is good. Uh, so I'll go with that a little, little off the wall compared to uh, like last week where we were a little safer, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, oddly enough, uh, I think that, that that even more has kind of been thrown into into question while I think that there's also a, 
a more established upper crust um, at, at the same time uh, in the country. Um, th- this is certainly a, a weird bracket. At first, I thought that there could be some chalk here, but you know what? Um, I'm bummed. You look at that rally group. Um, I think all four of those teams uh, could could ruin a lot of people's marches. Um, put elsewhere, I think Wichita State. Um, you know, I I think Wichita State and Valpo uh, have a lot of upset potential anywhere else. Um, but you know what? Shit. Like, yeah. I would pick Wichita State to potentially even get to the Final Four, uh, depending on where else they are. Um, but unfortunately, you know, I see Duke, I see West Virginia over there. Um, I could see any of those. I could see any of those three teams, um, and maybe Virginia. I don't know. The other three, even more so. Um, you know, really pissing a lot of people off and getting to an Elite Eight or, or a Final Four. Valpo, if they, uh, if they get slotted in somewhere else, um, you know, I, I, I could see them potentially um, upsetting a few teams. Um, Texas could be the safer pick of all because, um, yeah, there's just a, they're hitting their stride at the right time. They have a tournament-tested coach. Um, I, I think that, that Dayton has obviously been there before and has potential too. I don't buy into any team um, from Iowa down to Colorado. Um, I hate to say it, gimme Duke. Sorry, I missed that last part. What was it? Oh, um, I was I was committing uh, blasphemy and I was picking Duke. I could see it. If they get healthy, I mean, I think they're starting to play a little better now. Um, I think for a little bit it seemed like the Emil Jefferson excuse really wasn't uh, coming through, and now they're they're starting to win a little bit. So, uh, you know, again, Duke could flame out in the first round. They could go all the way. Nothing would surprise me. Grace Allen could score 30 points a game in the tournament. So I don't think that's uh, the craziest thing to think. And then I guess... Uh... I'll do a quick run of the West, then I'll toss it over to you, Dan. Um, I think this is Kansas's to lose. Um, I hope Texas A&M can play itself back up a little bit, just because um, you and I both know that obviously behooves uh, Syracuse. Um, yeah, obviously, um, I think behooves the country. I think Texas A&M can play an interesting game of basketball, um, and I actually want to see them and USC maybe make some noise. Um, but yeah, I, I would go with Kansas. Uh, pretty easily over here i don't think there's a i don't think there's a team as it stands right now if this bracket would hold um that could beat them though i would also note that that a kansas lsu um second round game would potentially potentially outdraw um ratings wise um i think more than just about any other that's ever been. Um, and I don't have the numbers on that um, in front of me, but, but I, I would I would almost guarantee that uh, that a Kansas and uh, Ben Simmons led LSU team could uh, could definitely make a hell of a lot of noise when it comes to ratings. Yeah, I mean it, it's no one's at a, a loss for pushing LSU, um, and Ben Simmons is great. Like I kind of feel bad just there is that backlash against the team because they're not very good and and i'm surprised as they have more players than just ben simmons uh, a couple other big freshmen but um he's he's just about as it is advertised he just 
doesn't always uh, assert himself, which isn't you know necessarily a knock. He's a very unselfish player, but um, they kind of need him to more. But they they've been kind of weird. They they're capable of beating anyone at any given time, and and certainly they could beat Kansas. But I think Indiana could have been troubled because Indiana is kind of like the the team version of that. Like they either beat teams by thirty or they go and lose to someone stupid. Um, I agree with Kansas. I think Kansas is probably maybe the most well-rounded team in the country when they're going. Um, they'll be, I, you know, unless I'm being an idiot geographically, I don't think Des Moines is like terribly far. So I, I imagine they could make that trip. Um, and out of all the teams there, I'm sure they'd be really well represented. Um, out of the bottom half, um, Oregon's a fun team. I don't see them being, um, quite like a two seed in terms of, but this year is so all over the place. Like there just aren't that many teams that really stand out. I'm going to go with uh, Notre Dame. I just think Notre Dame, uh, they have tournament experience after last year when they really, they came, you know, within seconds of beating Kentucky. Um, they're one of the most efficient offenses. Uh, obviously there are games where they just can't hit any shots. Um, Syracuse, the Syracuse team at the dome was one of those, but um I just think they're a pretty, they're an interesting bunch, and and if they get hot, uh, no one in that bottom half of that bracket really scares me too much. So I'll go with uh, Kansas beating Notre Dame in the Elite Eight. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny. I think we we just talked through what, what could be an absolute zoo of a bracket, and and it, this kills me. Uh, I know that we're kind, we're not a blue blood. We're we're kind of existing right on that outer plane. Um, but yeah, th- despite us talking through for twenty minutes almost a. Uh, a really weird bracket and one that could see a lot of upsets. I think we still could end up seeing a uh, the, the blue bloodiest blue blood <laughs> bracket at the end of the day. If uh, if some of our predictions hold, I mean, um, I, I think the Oklahoma obviously not a blue blood, but but chalk and then and then some combination of a uh, you know teams like whether it's in North Carolina or. Um, or a Duke, or I think Texas is an outsider as well. Um, then you're looking at a Kansas um, over there, and, and then there's that Notre Dame wild card. But yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting uh, interesting angles here, and hopefully Syracuse is one of them. I think we'll see. Um, I guess, Dan, to, to close us out, I uh, wanted to kind of chat football, and I think that... Uh, your call, we can either talk about a, a quarterback depth chart that that seems set but couldn't be. Or we could talk about um, the very interesting um, transfer option uh, that could be available to Syracuse uh, within the next few weeks. I assume you're talking the defensive end from Delaware State? Gabe, uh, I think we're going with Sherrod, or are we going with Sherrod? I'm down with either. I think it's Sherrod. Go with, I, I absolutely I have no idea. I just assume it's Sherrod. Let's go with that. Yeah, why don't we uh, why don't we talk him a little bit? Um, I think he could potentially be very important. Um, even if he doesn't, you know, blow the doors off the FBS level, um, just getting depth of the at the position is so important. Um, and not having to thrust everything on some true freshmen and and like Jake Pitard, who I think will be very good, but you don't want to have have to have him playing like 50, 60 snaps a game. So, um. I, I, I'm all for them going after uh, JUCO's transfers, and he, you know, seems incredibly interested. Um, we know the staff, uh, based on our limited but kind of significant at this point um, evidence, knows how to close when they get people on campus. 
So uh, I'm pretty excited about it, and I'm glad the staff is being aggressive and not just saying, you know, well, this is the team we have, so we're just going to go out there and do what we can. Like, obviously, uh, Babers was pretty quick to uh, make sure that we don't have our expectations, like, going crazy the first year. But um, I think that they should also be trying to go out and win as many games as possible and not, like, you know, just lay down and I don't know if I think they would either way, but it's exciting to see them being very proactive with trying to enhance the roster, even if it's only for a year or two. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because, you know, Sherrod kind of, I mean, once again, uh, considering how little time he's had to, to go at this, uh, Babers has been able to, to go after his stereotypical type guys um, and really kind of form the team in his image. Um, and, you know, Sherrod, he's an athletic guy, came in as wide receiver, switched to a D end, um, he really made a lot of noise at Delaware State, a, a school that, that rarely um, you know, seems to make headlines. Um, and, and it's just interesting to me that this is the first we're hearing of it, um, considering that SU seems to be in on this guy for a while. Um, he seems to be, um, I think Sherrod seems to be very measured in what he wants to do um, you know, as a as a grad student and yeah it is just weird this is the first we're hearing it but it's also great I mean I, I think I'll take anybody at defensive end um, and, and it's just great to see that that there are there are so many backup plans and there are so many options I mean that's I don't think anyone would have blamed um, Babers for, for releasing folks I mean Shepard Neely just seemed like um, they seem like promising players but they also seem like guys that Sorry, that's for, for those who've been following. That's James Arthur, who is scratching you behind his ear. Um, and that is why there is a lot of background noise at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that, uh, that this is a great move by Babers if we can, we can bring it in. I know a lot of us thought that Babers wasn't done and that Jucos are probably the answer. Uh, there could be others, but, but if this ends up being the only one, I think it's strategically uh, the best fit. Um, and I only hope that uh, that we do pull it off and we, we're we able to at least... Well, I know we can't completely fix our, our D-end issue. Um, I, I think that this is at least a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, it's just great because it, it was one of the first things that we'd start talking about after signing day, and it seems like we are doing everything we can. Um, and just the exact same things we were talking about, you know, F- FCS transfers, which have paid huge dividends for other programs at other spots um, in recent years. Uh, JUCOs, which it seems like we are still involved with some of those too. So, and, and I think there are three or four scholarships available. So no reason not to use them, especially if it's only a one-year commitment and it's mutually beneficial for the player and the team. Um, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm excited and hope that they can get a couple of these guys on campus. Sure, indeed. And uh, yeah, you know what? I think that's a, that's a good place to end it. Um, I think everyone kind of wants to watch the game, us included. Uh, so yeah, Dan, uh, thank you as always for making the time. I know this week uh, had audible a little bit, but yeah, glad it worked out. And uh, you know, good, to, good as always to, to chat some SU basketball and, and uh, a little SU football. Yes, always a pleasure. Now let's go. Uh, hopefully, get another nice win and and work our way further off of this bubble that I feel, feel like we've been on for two months. Go, go orange. Go orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. 
And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.